bombs blow up, it's gonna be awesome. Boom! The library will fall on the cafeteria. When they all run out, we'll be waiting outside to take them out. Time for a kickstart. Finally, we're gonna make things right. We'll be heroes. Heil Hitler. I can hear him now. If only we would have reached them sooner. Or, or found this tape. If only we would have searched their rooms. If only we would have asked the right questions. Too late. Hey guys, what's up and welcome to this episode of What the Actual Left. If you're new here, hey there, my name's Harmony and I'm your host. This is a podcast where I try to meet here every week and tell you some of the grisly, most dark, and mysterious topics around the world. If that sounds like your kind of thing, then stick around for this episode. In this episode, we are going to discuss one of the darkest days in U.S. history. Right now, we're going to go back to April 20th, 1999. Now, some of you may instantly hear that date and know exactly what I'm talking about. The Columbine shooting on April 20th, 1999 at Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado occurred when two teens went on a shooting spree, killing 13 people and wounding more than 20 others before turning the guns on themselves and taking their lives. That's right guys, today we are discussing the infamous Columbine shooting. Which, fun fact, at the time was the worst and deadliest high school shooting in US history. This also unmasked a huge national debate on gun control and school safety, as well as a major investigation to determine what motivated the gunman Eric Harris, who was 18 at the time, and Dylan Klebold, who was 17. Not only did this shooting cause so much debate over gun control, but it also led to probably the worst part about this, the copycats that would soon follow, not just in the US, but all over the world. All right, guys, let's go ahead and begin this case. The investigation into the high school massacre is slow moving and dangerous. The two gunmen who went on the rampage booby trapped the building and even themselves. All day long, investigators have searched the homes of both teenage killers. In one of them, police say they found bomb making materials. Specially trained officers searching the school today found close to 30 explosive devices all around the building. Authorities have also revised the death toll, now saying 15 people were killed, including the two gunmen. Most of the bodies are still inside the school, but families of the murder victims have been notified. Now, in order for us to really get into what happened that day at Columbine High School, we need to discuss the shooters who caused the death of so many of their peers. Ladies and gentlemen, and all that's in between, I'd like to introduce you to Eric David Harris, and Dylan Bennett Klebold. No, you goddamn piece of punk ass shit! Do not mess with that friggin' kid! If you do, I will rip off your goddamn head and shove it so far up your friggin' ass, you'll be coughing up dandruff for four friggin' months! Go ahead. Look, I don't care what you say. If you ever touch him again, I will freaking kill you. I'm gonna pull out a goddamn shotgun and blow your damn head off. Do you understand, you little worthless piece of crap? Well, they sound lovely. Just giving me the warm and fuzzies. And yes, that was the voices of Eric and Dylan themselves. Most of you may not know this, but they were film buffs and they recorded their very own, otherwise known as Hitmen for Hire. And what you just heard was a little snippet from their film. 
If you're curious about Hitman for Hire, you can find it easily on YouTube. Obviously, we know that the movie is not why Dylan and Eric are so well known. Instead, they would become known as the mass murder duo who perpetrated the Columbine High School massacre. They killed 13 people and wounded 24 others in the process. They were seniors at Columbine High School, and after they killed most of their victims in the school's library, they committed suicide as well in the same area. As I stated at the time, it was the deadliest high school shooting in US history. The ensuing media frenzy that would follow would incite moral panic everywhere, leading it to become one of the most infamous mass shootings ever perpetrated in US. This deadly duo met each other in the seventh grade. Over time, the two became increasingly close, and by the time they were juniors in high school, they were described as inseparable. There are varying reports. Some say that Eric and Dylan were very unpopular students and frequented targets of bullying, while others state that they were not near the bottom of the school's social hierarchy, so to say, and that they did actually have several friends throughout the school. It seems though from their journals that they had seemed to begin planning an attack the year prior, and throughout the year, they meticulously built explosives and gathered an arsenal of weapons. Dylan and Eric actually left behind several souvenirs for investigators. They had mass amount of journals, home videos, all of which were foreshadowing the massacre and explaining why they were doing what they were doing and what they hoped to truly achieve. After the massacre, it was widely believed that Eric and Dylan were a part of a, a clique known as the Trenchcoat Mafia. Some of you may know this name, especially if you were alive in the 90s. The Trenchcoat Mafia is another term for a group of misfits in school who supposedly rebelled against the popular students. This did turn out to be untrue as neither Eric or Dylan had any affiliation with the group. The pair's writings and videos gave insight into what their rationalization for the shooting truly was. The FBI concluded that Eric was in fact a psychopath who exhibited a lack of empathy and had narcissistic traits and unconstrained aggression. According to them though, Dylan however was concluded to be an angry depressive who showed very low self-esteem, anxiousness, and a vengeful attitude toward individuals who he believed had wronged or mistreated him. So all in all, they just seem pretty wholesome, right? However, neither Dylan or Eric were formally diagnosed with any mental illnesses prior to the attack. In the years to follow the attack, many media outlets would state that the factors leading to the attack included bullying, mental illness, racism, psychiatric medication, and media violence. That's right, pulling it back to video games cause violence, pew pew. Sorry, if you couldn't tell, I don't agree with that at all. I've been playing video games my whole life and I still have never taken a gun and tried to shove it down someone's throat because I saw it in a video game. Despite these conclusions, the exact motive for the attack remains inconclusive. Dylan and Eric have become pop culture icons, with the pair often portrayed, referenced, and seen in films, television, video games, music, and even books. Many killers since the shooting have taken inspiration from the two, either having them as heroes in their minds, as murders, or even as gods. Many killers and people who copy their crimes express sympathy for the pair, feeling bad for whatever they went through to lead them up to that fateful day. The two even have a massive fan base who have coined their term 
Columbiners, who write fan fiction and draw fan art of the two. Let's learn more about this disastrous duo, shall we? And Roz, we're being kept far away. The building off in the distance is still sealed off. As you said, the bodies have not yet been removed. A total of 15 people are believed to have died here, 12 students, one faculty member, and the two young killers. Investigators say this attack appears to have been carefully planned for a long time. One by one, students returned to Columbine High and left bouquets of flowers in a park half a mile away. A little bit of pain, a little bit of everything at once. And it's deep, you know? But it's got to be strong. So parents, hug your kids. Pray to, pray that, be happy that you're with them. Kids, grab your friends, hold them tight, and never be mad at people because it could happen in a second that they'll be gone. First up, we have Eric David Harris, who was born on April 9th, 1981, in Wichita, Kansas. Both of Eric's parents were born and raised in Colorado. His mother, Catherine Ann Poole, was a homemaker, and his father, Wayne Harris, was working in the United States Air Force as a transport pilot. Eventually, this forced the family to move around the country sporadically, and in 1983, the family moved to Dayton, Ohio. Fun fact, I lived there for a few months as well. Not a lot to do there. Six years after the move, the family relocated to Michigan. This is where they lived across the street from a Michigan pastor named William Stone. William Stone would go on to say that they were great neighbors and would often see Wayne engaging with his sons and outside with them. The Harris family then moved to Pittsburgh, New York in 1991. This is where Eric attended Stafford Middle School and even played on the Little League basketball team. He even had a lot of friends and would attend birthday parties and go out. He was known as part of the in-crowd. The next year, Wayne would retire from the service and the Harris family found themselves back in Colorado. In a 1997 English class assignment, Eric wrote how difficult the move from New York to Colorado was. Quote, it was the hardest moving from Pittsburgh. I have the most memories from there. When I left, I felt alone, lost and even agitated that I had spent so much time with them and now I have to go because of something I cannot stop. Then in a basement tape, Eric blamed his father for moving the family around, forcing Eric to start out at the bottom of the ladder as he quoted. He even went on to state that kids would often mock his appearance. Now, I'm just say something right now. I'm a 35-year-old grown-ass woman, and I am terrified of kids. Because most of the time, they're little assholes, and they're fucking mean and brutal. One time, a little kid saw me and thought I was a munchkin from The Wizard of Oz, and I cried myself to sleep that night. You want to know how I know that they thought that? Because they asked their mom if I was. <laughs> Still hurts me to this day. <clears throat> Sorry for the distraction. Let's continue. The Harris family lived in a rental for the first three years that they lived in the Littleton area. While Eric was in seventh grade, he met Dylan. Oh joy! The friendship! That should have never begun! In 1996, the Harris family purchased and settled in a house just south of Columbine High School. Eric's older brother, Kevin, attended college at the University of Colorado nearby. Wayne, Eric's father, took a job at the Flight Safety Services Corporation, and Eric's mother, a former homemaker, became a caterer. Seems like he's got a pretty cozy life, if I do say so myself. Eric entered Columbine High School in 1995 as a freshman. Columbine had just gone through a major renovation and expansion at the time. From all accounts, he had many friends and was left forward and midfield at the Columbine soccer team for his freshman and sophomore year. So, he was also a jock. Something a lot of you guys probably didn't know, because I damn sure didn't. 
Even according to one of his teammates, Josh Swanson, he said that Eric was a solid soccer player and enjoyed the sport a lot. Eric, during his freshman year, met Tiffany Teifer, who was in his German class at the time. Tiffany was later recounted that Harris quickly wooed her. He even went on to ask her to homecoming and she accepted. Aww, young love. After the event, it appeared that Tiffany was no longer interested in seeing Eric anymore. Dun dun dun. Happens to the best of us, you get one date and then you're done. She actually never disclosed the reasons why she didn't want to see him anymore, so who knows? That's right, he decided to sprawl out on the ground, cover himself in fake blood, and of course, when Tiffany saw him, she began screaming and begging for someone to come help. It was at that point when she was freaking out and terrified that he had truly unalived himself, he began laughing and pointing at her. This, of course, enraged Tiffany, where she stormed off and told him he needed to get help. Tiffany had no idea how right she was. Eric definitely needed help. Sadly, like all of the other cases I tell you about, by the time it would be realized that Eric needed help, it would be too late. Investigators found their first pipe bomb in the parking lot, and the Denver bomb squad immediately sealed off the building. Robotic cameras later found the entire school was booby-trapped. Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold had apparently committed suicide, but investigators say they spent their final moments rigging the building and their own bodies with more than two dozen pipe bombs. Now let's discuss Dylan. Dylan Bennett Klebold was born on September 11, 1981 in Lakewood, Colorado. His parents were Thomas and Sue Klebold. On the day after the shooting, Dylan's mother remembered that shortly after his birth, she described what felt like a shadow had been cast over her, warning her that this child could bring her great sorrow. In her words, I think I still make of it what I did at the time. It was a passing feeling that went over very quickly, like a shadow. Dylan was soon diagnosed with pyloric stenosis. This is a condition in which the opening between the stomach and the small intestines thickens causing severe vomiting during the first few months of a child's life. Sue later went on to assure herself that the feeling that she had gotten when she first saw her son that brought her this immense fear and sorrow was just a warning that he was physically ill. Sadly, that could not be farther from the truth. Dylan's parents had met when they were both studying art at Ohio State University. The pair became quickly smitten with one another and after they graduated, they married in 1971. The pair had their first child, Dylan's older brother, Byron, in 1978. Dylan's father, Thomas, had initially worked as a sculptor, but then moved over to engineering to be more financially stable. Sue had worked in assistance services with disabled children. Furthermore, Dylan's parents were pacifists and attended a Lutheran church with their children. Both Dylan and his older brother attended confirmation classes in accordance with the Lutheran tradition. And a fun fact about Dylan and his brother Byron, they were both named after world-renowned poets. Dylan was named after Dylan Thomas. In the family home, they also kept some Jewish traditions due to Dylan's grandfather. Dylan attended Normandy Elementary School for the first and second grade, then transferred to Governor's Ranch Elementary School where he was part of the challenging high school intellectual potential students program. Try saying that five times. This was a program for gifted children at the time. According to reports, Dylan was exceptionally bright as a young child. Although he appeared somewhat sheltered in elementary school, he did amazing in his grades. 
When he transitioned to Ken Carl Middle School, he found it extremely difficult. Dylan's parents were unconcerned with the fact that Dylan found the changing of the schools uneasy, and they assumed it was just regular behavior a young adolescent would experience in such a thing. I mean, let's pause for a second and think about it. From elementary to middle school is a big jump, and then from middle school to high school, even bigger. I'm sure if you look back at that time, you'd think, huh, I was an awkward fuck. So his parents didn't really think much of it and thought this was just the normal stress that one adolescent does, I guess, uh, feel, experience, and encounter. Being a teenager sucks. I think we can all agree there. During his early school years, Dylan also played sports. He played baseball, soccer, and t-ball. He was also involved in the Cub Scouts. Dylan and Eric did have a few other friends. They had sort of this like small, tight-knit group. But all in all, Dylan and Eric were inseparable and, by every means of the word, the best of friends. But these best friends would become insanely evil. Or maybe they always were. Amid the gunshots and bomb blasts, hundreds of students ran for their lives stalked in their own school by two of their own classmates who went on a rampage. People were getting shot all around me. <laughs> there was a guy at a table right next to us, next to me and her, and they just shot him and then walked away and then he was just sitting there in a pool of blood. Detectives now believe they entered the school through a back door and stormed down the hallways. They cornered students in the cafeteria and the library where there was nowhere to run. Witnesses say they laughed as they fired their weapons, executing their classmates who begged for their lives. They were shooting anyone of color wearing a white hat or played a sport, and they didn't care who it was, and it was all at close range. Screaming after they'd shoot up something, they'd go, woo! Just a pleasure for them. This morning, students packed a prayer service at a local church and stood in the parking lot, embraced one another, and wiped away their tears. Graduation was less than two weeks away. Both Dylan and Eric worked together as cooks at Blackjack Pizza. This was located about a mile south from Columbine High School. Eric was eventually promoted to shift leader. He and his group of friends were interested in computers as well and enrolled themselves in a bowling class together. Some described Eric as charismatic, and others described him as a nice and likable dude. However, Eric also bragged often about his ability to deceive others, once even stating in a tape that he could make anyone believe anything. By his junior year, Eric was also known to be quick to anger, and would even threaten people with bombs. Sounds like a real fun guy! Classmates also related that Eric was fascinated by war and wrote out violent fantasies about killing people that he didn't like. Like I said, he just sounds like rainbows and unicorns. I feel like he just needs a hug. I'm kidding, that guy is real fucking grim. Dylan was described by his peers and adults as painfully shy. Dylan would often be fidgeting somewhere or doing something whenever someone new would talk to him. Let's just say making eye contact wasn't exactly his comfort zone. He rarely opened up to anybody. We are talking a hardcore introvert. In the last year of his life, many noted a change in Dylan's behavior. Unlike before, Dylan became extremely short-tempered, often proving that sudden outbursts of anger were more of his thing than just shying away and stepping back. There was definitely a change in Dylan. 
Much of the information on Dylan and Eric's friendship is, well, unknown. On their interactions and conversations, aside from the basement tapes that we can somewhat access and really get to know them better. But you can only access them through transcripts as they have not been publicly released. Eric and Dylan met at Ken Carl Middle School during their 7th grade year, as previously mentioned. Now over time, the two became increasingly close and inseparable by all accounts of the word. The two would go out bowling, and they would carpool together to school, and even play the popular game at the time, Doom. Oh man, that's bringing back some memories! For those of you who have no idea what that little snippet of sound was, that was the audio from actual Doom gameplay. Ugh, I miss that game. Simpler times, man, simpler times! Now they played this game over a private server that they connected to on their personal computers. And by their junior year in high school, the boys were described as inseparable. A close friend of theirs by the name of Chad Laughlin would go on to state that the boys always sat alone together at lunch and kept to themselves for the most part. Now, like usual, kids in high school are fucking douchebags. Because a rumor eventually started because the two were inseparable and did sit together at lunch and were often alone together that they were in fact gay and romantically involved with one another. God damn, man. Teens are brutal assholes. If they're miserable, then you have to be as well. And let's face it, every fucking teen is miserable. Being a teen sucks donkey dick. Seriously, do you remember the hormones, all the demand that was placed on you because you had school for eight, what, eight, nine hours a day? I can't remember, honestly. And in that same schooling, you were going out sweating balls and then putting your clothes back on and just going sitting in class like you all didn't smell like B.O. and regret. Just saying, man. Teens in high school? Of kids? Teens? You know what? When we are under the age of 18, we suck. I mean, to be fair, over 18, we all suck too, but we're kind of more unrefined as kids. So, back to the topic at hand, the peers in their school were dicks. It is unknown if they were aware of this rumor, however, I'm sure they were because if you remember high school, one person says something and next thing you know, by the next period, everybody in the whole school knows. Do you guys remember how I mentioned Chad a few minutes ago? Well, Chad actually went on for some reason to publicly share that in fact, when Dylan and Eric passed away, they were still virgins. Not really sure why anyone needed to know that. That was their personal business, but you know what? Since their friend shared it, now you know. Judy Brown actually believed that Eric was more emotionally dependent on Dylan. You see, Dylan was more liked by the students at the school than Eric was. In his journals, however, Dylan wrote that he felt that he was not accepted or loved by anybody. It is believed that because Dylan was experiencing these feelings, he probably sought validation from Eric. Kind of built this really unhealthy, codependent relationship. Dylan's mother believed that Eric's rage may be intermingled with Dylan's self-destructive personalities, 
and it caused the boys to feed off of one another and enter into what eventually would become an internal friendship. For what it's worth, this friendship was probably exactly what the pair needed from one another. Nonetheless, this bond between the two would lead to a mass murder. NJ, thank you. President Clinton saying he and his aides are struggling to understand why all of this happened. The president said early intervention is the key to preventing trouble. We must all do more to recognize and look for the early warning signals that deeply troubled young people send often before they explode into violence. Surely more of them can be saved and more innocent victims and tragedies can be avoided. At Columbine High School, Eric and Dylan were active in school play productions, operated video productions, and became computer assistants, maintaining the school's computer server. According to early accounts of the shooting, they were very unpopular students and targets of bullying. While sources do support accounts of bullying specifically toward Eric and Dylan, accounts of them being outcast have been reported to be false, since both of them had a close-knit group of friends, as I previously mentioned. Eric and Dylan were initially reported to be members of the clique the Trenchcoat Mafia. Despite later confirmation that the pair had no connection to the group and furthermore did not appear in the group's photo in Columbine's 1998 yearbook, Herrick's father erroneously stated that his son was a member of what they called the Trenchcoat Mafia in a 911 call he made on April 20th, 1998. Dylan attended the school prom three days before the shootings with a classmate by the name of Robin Anderson. Now I just told you about the fact that Eric and Dylan played the game Doom together. Eric even created a set of levels of the game which later became known as the Harris Levels. And these levels are downloadable over the internet. So if you're like me and still love the game Doom, go play the levels that this crazed murderer created if that's your thing. Eric had a web presence, that's right, in the 90s. <laughs> the internet was still very new, it wasn't like it is today. He had a web presence under the handle R-E-B. He had other online aliases including Rebdomaker, Rebdoomer, and Rebdomain. Dylan went by the names Vodka and Vodka. This was obviously seemed to be inspired by the alcoholic beverage, otherwise known as, well, vodka. Eric had various websites that he hosted for Doom and Quake Files. These sites openly expose his hatred for people in their neighborhood and in the world in general. The pair eventually began experimenting with pipe bombs. They even posted the results of their explosions on these websites. The website was eventually shut down by America Online after the shootings and preserved for the FBI. The April 20th, 1999 shooting would not be the first encounter for Eric and Dylan with the law. On January 30th, 1998, Dylan and Eric broke into a locked van to steal computers and other electronic equipment. An officer pulled over the duo that were driving away. Eric shortly after admitted to the theft. They were later charged with mischief, breaking and entering, and trespassing, and theft. They both seemed to leave a good impression on the juvenile officers who offered to expunge their criminal records. This would only happen, however, if they agreed to attend a divisionary program which included community service and psychiatric treatment. 
Eric also was required to attend anger management classes where, again, he made a favorable impression on the people. The boys' probation officer even discharged them from the program a few months early. This was due to the duo's good behavior. That's right, they were little angels. It was even remarked that Eric was a bright individual who is likely to succeed in life. However, it was stated that Dylan was intelligent but needs to understand that hard work is part of fulfilling a dream. A couple months after this break-in, on April 30th, 1998, Eric handed the first version of a letter of apology he wrote to the owner of a van. Sorry, not a van, the van. I don't know why I said a van. Obviously, it's, it's the one in question. In this letter, Eric expressed his regret for his actions. However, in one of his journal entries dated April 12th, 1998, he wrote, Isn't America supposed to be the land of the free? How come, if I'm free, I can't deprive some fucking dumb shit of his possessions if he leaves them sitting in front seat of his fucking van in plain sight in the middle of fucking nowhere on a fry fucking day night? Natural selection. Fucker should be shot. Sorry, I really felt like I needed to give him some depth to that writing. I don't know. Don't judge. So, as you can see, Eric is really sweet. Now, I mentioned Hitman for Hire, and you will hear some audio from this throughout as well. In December of 1998, Eric and Dylan made a movie, Hitman for Hire, a video for a school project in which they swore, yelled at the camera, made violent statements, and acted out shooting and killing students in the hallways of Columbine High School. Both also displayed themes of violence in their creative writing projects of a doom-based story written by Eric on January 17, 1999. Eric's teacher said, Yours is a unique approach and your writing works in a gruesome way. Good details and mood setting. Whew, little did she know the foreshadowing. Raz, they wore black trench coats, combat boots, and some wore Nazi crosses. They hated jocks, loved the internet, and were fascinated by World War II. They were known as the trench coat mafia. The question is, why didn't anyone know they turned so violent? The clues were here in Littleton long before the deadly violence. The yearbook pictures with handwritten captions about insanity. This alleged trench coat mafia website shut down shortly after ABC News took these pictures. It even had a so-called hit list, mentioning jocks and one substitute teacher as potential targets. And there were the outfits, the dark coat and boots associated with Hollywood's more violent scenes. But no one knew the talk would become reality. It's just a gang of about like 20 guys who call themselves the trench coat mafia. And they like wear trench coats every day to school, like and wear makeup and paint their nails and stuff. They're just like, uh, I don't know, everyone kind of thinks of them as different and they always just hang out with themselves only. I mean, they looked like, you know, they sort of had vibes of, you know, not exactly loving everyone. Um, but I mean, they never walked around the halls, you know, saying, you know, you're all going to die. Students also say that members of the small suburban gang bragged about their guns and ammo. One cyber chatter even recalled a previous warning that a certain El Caress wrote about preparing for the big April 20th. You're all going to be sorry. Terrorism experts widely know that this time of year has been extremely violent throughout history. April 19th is the anniversary of many painful moments, from Waco to Ruby Ridge to Oklahoma City. And this past April 20th was the 110th anniversary of Adolf Hitler's birthday. 
So how did the two even get their hands on the arsenal of weapons that they had? After all, Dylan and Eric were unable to legally purchase firearms due to them being underage at the time. They enlisted the help of Dylan's date, Robin Anderson. That's right, Dylan's date to the dance. Robin was an 18-year-old Columbine student and a friend of Dylan's. She decided to make a straw purchase of two shotguns and a high-point carbine for the pair. In exchange for Robin's cooperation in the investigation that would follow the shootings, no charges were filed against her. After illegally acquiring the weapons, Dylan sawed off his Savage 311 D12 gauge double barrel shotgun, shortening the overall length to approximately 23 inches. Eric's Savage Springfield 12 gauge pump shotgun was sawed off to around 26 inches. The two also possessed a Tech DC-9 semi-automatic handgun. The bombs that were used by the pair varied and were crudely made from carbon dioxide canisters, galvanized pipe, and metal propane bottles. The bombs were primed with matches placed at one end, and both had striker tips on their sleeves. When they would rub the bombs against them, the matches would light on the fuse. And boom, bomb prepared. The weekend before the shootings, Eric and Dylan had purchased propane tanks and other supplies from a hardware store for a few hundred dollars. Several residents of the area claimed to have heard glass breaking and buzzing sounds from Harris's family garage. Seems like they were doing something, eh? This was later to be concluded to indicate that they were constructing the pipe bombs. There were more complex bombs as well such as one that detonated on the corner of South Wadsworth Boulevard and Ken Carl Avenue. The two largest bombs that were built by them were found in the school cafeteria, and they were made of small propane tanks. And only one of these bombs went off, and only even partially detonating. Thankfully so. It was estimated that if any of the bombs placed in the cafeteria had detonated properly, the blast would have caused extensive damage to the school and would have resulted in hundreds of casualties. Now I think it's time we talk about the massacre. Teach them they're allowed to express their anger in words. They're not allowed to act on them. If they don't act on it with you, they will learn how to control their anger as they get older. Now, police have been interviewing the family members of the two teenagers responsible for the shooting. We now know that one of them, Eric Harris, also posted violent lyrics and recipes for pipe bombs on the Internet. And his final entry in an AOL chat room, which was posted yesterday morning at 8.41, read, Today is my last day on Earth. On April 20th, 1999, just weeks before Eric and Dylan were due to graduate from Columbine High School, Brooks Brown, who was smoking a cigarette outside during his lunch break, saw Eric arrive at school. Brooks had severed his friendship with Eric a year earlier after Eric had thrown a chunk of ice at Brooks's car windshield. However, Brooks did reconcile with Eric prior to the shooting. Brooks approached Eric near his car and scolded him for skipping his morning classes. Because Eric was always serious about schoolwork and being on time, so Eric replied, it doesn't matter anymore. He followed up with, Brooks, I like you now. Get out of here and go home. Brooks immediately felt uneasy and quickly left the school grounds. At 11.19 a.m., he heard the first gunshots after he had walked some distance away from the school. He immediately went to a neighboring house nearby and informed the police. 
However, by that time, Dylan had already arrived at school in a separate car, and the two boys left two gym bags, each containing 20-pound propane bomb inside the cafeteria. Their original plans indicated that when these bombs detonated, Dylan and Eric would be camped out by their cars during the time, shoot, stab, and throw bombs at any survivors that would be running out of the school trying to escape the explosion. The pair also had other bombs set up in parked cars that would detonate, killing responders and other personnel. However, when these devices failed to detonate, Dylan and Eric launched a shooting attack against their classmates and teachers. It was the deadliest attack ever perpetrated at an American high school until the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting on February 14, 2018. Eric was responsible for eight of the 13 confirmed deaths. His victims were Rachel Scott, Daniel Rabo, teacher Dave Sanders, Steve Kernow, Cassie Barnell, Isaiah Scholes, Kelly Fleming, and Daniel Mosser. Dylan was responsible for the remaining five of their victims, Kyle Velasquez, Matthew Ketcher, Lauren Townsend, John Tomlin, and Corey DePooter. There were also 24 injured, 21 of them were by the shootings. Most of these victims were also in critical condition. At 12.02 p.m., Dylan and Eric returned to the library. Of the 56 library hostage, 34 remained unharmed, all of whom escaped after Dylan and Eric left the library initially. Investigators would later find that Eric and Dylan had enough ammunition to have killed all of them. This was 20 minutes after their lethal shooting spree had ended, leaving 12 students dead and one teacher dying. 10 of their victims in total had been killed in the library. It is believed they came back to the library to watch their car bombs detonate. These were set to go off at noon. However, this did not happen as the aforementioned bombs failed to detonate. Dylan and Eric went to the west windows and opened fire on the police standing outside. No one was injured in this exchange, however. By 12.08 p.m., Dylan and Eric had taken their own lives. In an interview, student Lisa Kretz had mentioned this. Eric Harris had sat down with his back to a bookshelf, placed his shotgun in his mouth, and fired through the roof of his mouth. Dylan then went down to his knees and shot himself in the left temple. He did this with his Tech-9. Patty Nielsen, who was a teacher at the school and also called in 911, had stated this. She overheard the two yell one, two, three in unison just before a loud boom. Just before shooting himself, Dylan lit a Molotov cocktail on a nearby table. The loud boom that was heard was most likely the cocktail exploding and their gunfire at the same time. There was a lot of controversy over whether Dylan and Eric should be memorialized at all. Some people were opposed, saying that it glorified murderers, while others argued that Dylan and Eric were also victims. On a hill in the Columbine High School, crosses were erected for Dylan and Eric, along with those of the people they murdered. But the father of the victim, Daniel Robber, cut them down, saying that murderers should not be memorialized in the same place as their victims. And I agree. Jefferson County 911. Yes, I'm a teacher at Columbine High School. There is a student here with a gun. He has shot out a window. I believe one student shot. Um, um, I've been Columbine High School. I don't know what's in my shoulder. 
if it was just the last thing you do. Okay, has anybody been injured, ma'am? Yes. Okay. Yes. And the school is in a panic, and I'm in the library. I've got students down out of the table, kids. Heads under the table. Um, kids are screaming. Some of the teachers um, are, you know, trying to take control of We need police here. We need okay, police. we're getting them there. Who is the student, ma'am? I do not know who the student is. Okay. I saw a student outside. I was in hold and but Okay. I was on hold and I saw a gun. I said, what's going on out there? And he said, oh, it's probably for video production. It's probably a joke. I said, well, I don't think that's a good idea. And I went walking outside. I said, he was See what was going on. He turned the gun straight at us and shot. And my God, the window went out. And the kid standing there with me, I think he got hit. Okay. Something in my shoulder. Okay. We've got help on the way, ma'am. Okay. Okay. Oh, God. Stay in the line of Oh, God. Okay, do, stay down. do we know where he's at? I'm sorry? Do we know where he's at? He, okay. I'm in the library. He's upstairs. He's right outside of here. He's outside? He's outside of this hall. Outside of a hall? Or outside of a hall. Outside okay. Outside. There are alarms and things going off. There's smoke. My God, smoke is like coming into this room. Okay. okay. I've got the kids under the table here. I don't know what's happening in the rest okay. of the building. There's also got smoke in the building. I don't know. I'm sure someone has to be calling 911. Yes, we've got a lot of people on. Okay. I just want you to stay in the line with me. We need to know what's going on. Okay. Okay. I am on the floor. Okay. And you've okay. got the kids the there. Library. And I've got every student in this library on the floor. You better stay on the floor. Is there any way you can lock the doors? Um, smoke is coming in from out there, and I'm a little okay. afraid. The gun is right outside the library door. Okay. I don't think I'm going to go out there. Okay. okay. You are calling my high school? I got, I got three children. Okay. We got it. Okay. Um, I'm going to go to the door to shut the door, okay? I've got the kids on the floor. Um, i got all the kids in the library on the floor. We have paramedics, we have fire, and we have police on route, okay, sir? Okay. Okay. Yes. This, I mean, he's, I, I don't know. This, I can't believe he's not out of bullets. He just keeps shooting and shooting and shooting. Okay. Yeah, we've got a police officer on the scene. I thought it was. Okay, just try and keep the kids in the library calm. Yeah. Is there any way you can block the door so no one can get in? I do, I do not. Okay. I, yeah, I guess I can try to go, but I mean, like, he's right outside that door. I'm afraid to go to the door. That's okay. That's where he is. I'm not okay. afraid to go there. Okay? That's okay. Okay, I told the kids to get on the floor. I had to get under the table. All of the children are on the floor under the table. Um, um, yeah, they're all under the table. Okay. And, uh, as long as we can just try and keep... No one's saying a word. Okay, as long as we can keep everyone there as calm as we can. I hear some yelling out there going on right yeah, now. Yeah, we've got alarms going off now as well. Yeah, there's alarms. This room is filled with smoke. Okay. Okay. Keep everyone low to the floor. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's out. Okay. Everyone stay on the floor. Stay on the floor. Stay under the table. Um, okay. I, I don't know. I, okay. I know. Just. I don't know. I didn't. I said, what, what is that kid got? He was outside at the time. And, 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 um, I was all called it. Oh, God. I do not know who the student was. I don't even think I saw him. He's wearing black. He didn't look very large. Um, male student. Um, he was out there shooting. It looked like he was climbing out and shooting. And somebody, I said, what is that? Mm -hmm. I said, what's going on? 
journals and that they would go on talking about their plans and what exactly they wanted to do. They often wrote about how they would carry out their massacre and less about why. Dylan penned through an outline of plans to follow on April 20th and another slightly different one in a journal was found in Eric's bedroom. In one entry on Eric's computer, he referenced the Oklahoma City bombing and they mentioned their wishes to outdo it by causing the most deaths in US history. They also mentioned how they would like to leave a lasting impression on the world with this kind of violence. I think they succeeded. There seemed to be a lot of speculation that was about the date of the attack. The original intended date of the attack would have been April 19th. However, Eric requested more ammunition from Mark Maines, who did not deliver it until the evening of April 19th, therefore changing the date to the 20th. Dylan and Eric were both fans of the band KMFDM. This is an industrial band by German multi-instrumentalist Sasha Konetsko. It was revealed that lyrics to KMFDM's songs Son of a Gun, Stray Bullet, and Waste were posted on Eric's website. <laughs> go that's the band that he was so obsessed with sounds painful now a crazy thing about this is the date of april 20th massacre actually coincided with both the release date of the album's adios and the birthday of adolf hitler adios by the way is an album by kmfdm eric also noted this coincidence of the album's title and april release date in his journal in response, KMFDM's Sasha issued a statement that KMFDM was against war, oppression, fascism, and violence against others. Also adding, quote, none of us condone any Nazi beliefs whatsoever. 
On April 27, in 1999, an article was released in the Washington Post that described Dylan and Eric as this. They hated jocks, admired Nazis, and scorned normalcy. They fancied themselves devotees of the gothic subculture. Even though they thrilled to the violence denounced by much of their fantasy world, they were white supremacists, but loved music by anti-racist rock bands. The attack occurred on Hitler's birthday as mentioned, which led to speculation in the media as well. Some people, such as Robin Anderson, you guys remember her, she went out with uh, Dylan. She knew the two and stated that the pair were not obsessed with Nazis or did they worship or admire Hitler in any way. She also stated in retrospect that there were many things the pair did that they didn't tell any of their friends. In Eric's journal, he mentioned his admiration for what he imagined to be natural selection, even mentioning that he would like to put everybody in some kind of super doom game and see who was so weak that they would die and who was strong enough to live. In fact, on the day of the massacre, Eric wore a white t-shirt with the words natural selection printed in black. They had a couple of duffel bags at their feet and we witnessed them pulling out what we assumed to be paintball guns uh, that later on turned out to be something completely different. My secretary comes in and yells that there had been a report of gunfire and bombs exploding. So I ran out of my office, saw a gunman coming towards me. I remember hearing gunfire and I remember glass breaking behind me. I was laying in, in broken glass from the the window that had gotten shot out. All I could hear was the, the fire alarms going off. Um, and then the gunshots at a distance. Okay, has anybody been injured, ma'am? Okay. Yes. And the school is in a panic, and I'm in the library. I've got students down under the table pit. At the end of Eric's last journal entry, he wrote this. I hate you people for leaving me out of so many fun things. And no, don't say, well, that's your fault, because it isn't. You people had my phone number, and I asked and all, but no. No, 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 don't let the weird-looking Eric kid come along. Oh, fucking no. And in the basement tapes, Dylan had this to say. You've been giving us shit for years. You're gonna fucking pay for all the shit. We don't give a shit, because we're gonna die doing it. Also, accounts from various parents and school staffers described bullying at the school as rampant. I mean, it's high school. So, again, kids fucking suck. I'm gonna continue and stop getting distracted. Nathan Vanderoo, who was a friend of Dylan, and Alyssa Owen, who was Eric's eighth grade science partner, reported that Eric and Dylan were constantly picked on. Nathan even went on to say that a cup of shit was thrown at the two. Oh my god. If anyone's mad at me for saying that teens are assholes or kids are fucked up, <laughs> seriously, exhibit A. I rest my case. Here is another quote about the bullying that Eric and Dylan endured. People surrounded them in the commons and squirted ketchup packets all over them. They were laughing at them and calling them I don't want to say this word. It is the F slur for a gay term. I don't like it and I'm not going to say it. You can fill in the blank yourself. And that's also just because I am part of the community and I just, I don't like hateful shit. So yeah. 
Brooks Brown says that this happened while teachers even watched. And they didn't even fight back. They couldn't. They were too afraid. They were ganged up on. Dylan and Eric proceeded to walk around and attend school the rest of the day, covered in this dried ketchup, according to reports. In his book, No Easy Answers, The Truth Behind Death at Columbine, Brooks wrote that Eric was born with mild chest indent. This made him reluctant to take his shirt off in gym class. And this led to other students in the class mocking him and making fun of him. If you needed more reasons why I think kids are assholes, exhibit B. Okay, to be fair, this whole podcast is exhibit A. Again, I rest my case. I want to bring up something that a man by the name of Chad Laughlin states. There were people fearful of walking by certain tables where you knew you didn't belong. Stuff like that. Certain groups, certain people, certain preferential treatment that was across the board. I caught the tail end of one really horrible incident, and I know Dylan told his mother that it was the worst day of his life. This had to do with the ketchup incident, or what Dylan told her was the ketchup-covered tampons incident. There are deciphered accounts, apparently it was ketchup packets, no, it was tampons covered in ketchup, I'm not positive. But I want to say something about what Chad mentions. Think back to when you were in high school. Now, if you were one of the super popular people, fantastic, you probably were the asshole that everyone hated. Because, quite frankly, they feared you. Think about it though, when you were walking down the halls or you entered into an area, you were most likely always like, oh fuck, oh shit, is there somebody in here that doesn't like me? Is there someone here I don't like? Is there someone in here that's gonna kick my ass? And if you didn't think that, well then you were the person, again, that everybody hated because you were the one that everybody was looking for, that nobody wanted to encounter because they feared you. And I know some people are out here going, well, that's great. Fear means I was respected. No, fear just means that you're a dick. That's not respect, that's hate. I don't know anyone that respects something that they are afraid of. Anyway, sorry, I could go on tangents about being bullied. Because I too was bullied in high school. Because again, people suck. Alright, so let's continue. I do believe, quite frankly, that they were definitely bullied, at least because of the writings that were found that came from Eric and Dylan themselves. And all the accounts from fellow students that said they were, in fact, bullied. I mean, this whole incident with ketchup, I don't care if it was covered tampons by ketchup or ketchup packets. That's gross. That's horrible. Like, can you imagine? I would fear going to school. That's, that is, that's just heartbreaking. To be fair, there were times I did fear going to school because, again, kids suck. Now, as I stated, there are other factors that people are stating that disputes the theory that they were bullied at all and if they were or weren't, if this was even a motivating factor in the massacre. School violence erupted again today, suddenly and with a vengeance. Columbine High in Littleton, Colorado, it has been a horror. In 1999, two high school students went on a deadly rampage and the images seared themselves into the nation's collective memory. One of the worst school shootings ever, 15 dead bodies still being identified. An American nightmare that too many schools know too well. Yet how much of our explanation for that nightmare was right? The entire country was confident that these two killers were two loner outcasts from the trench coat mafia who were targeting jocks in a revenge fantasy. None of that was true. Misguided perceptions of the Columbine shooting continue to influence us today. Well guys, that's what I have for you today. The infamous Columbine Massacre. You know, I guess Eric and Dylan did get what they wanted. 
to be forever remembered for their infamous crime, for the violence that they would uphold that day, and for inspiring many more copycats in their wake. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode that always feels so weird to say, as it's not like I talk about kittens and rainbows here. I talk about a lot of dark stuff. So thank you for coming here every week and hanging out with me while I share with you the weird things that I find that happen around our world. Thanks for being weird with me. If this was your first episode, I hope you stick around and come back next week. Feel free to check out the past episodes that are on here wherever you're listening to this podcast. And in the new year, there will be some new content being created in relation to What the Actual F. So look forward to that. To close out this episode, I'm going to leave you with a little snippet of a song that was actually inspired by the Columbine Massacre. A song that many people, when they hear it, start dancing and singing, having no idea about the true dark history of its words. I'm going to go. And until the next episode, guys, stay safe. I love you. And I'll talk to you next week.